question that we started the series off with was, what is worship? And we printed a, a nice definition here for you. It's worship is our reverent and grateful response to the Lord that seeks to honor him for his great attributes and good gifts. So hopefully we have done that this morning. As we have get, said, we're so grateful. We've responded with gratitude. We've honored him for who he is and what he's done. But as we... Uh, preached on that uh, a couple weeks ago, we said, you know, another way you could define worship is to simply fall to your knees. And the word in scripture and the original languages means bow down. And so that posture of humility and gratitude, um, putting God in the, in the position above us, yeah, that is worship. Worship is to bow down. Last week, when Pastor Scott was up here, he highlighted, so what inspires our worship? And we talked about how we shouldn't be inspired to worship uh, because of his glory and his holiness. And that was worked out through our booklet. And then this week we have come to the question of how do we worship? How do we worship? So if I ask you that question right now, after having just sung, you might have a, your gut response would be to say, well, how do I worship? Well, I worship by singing. And that would be a good answer. Um, but by the end of our time together, I hope we have a, a fuller answer than just singing. Um, how do we worship? So as I'm sitting on that trying to come up with a good answer and, and take us to scripture, um, I really, my heart is, we can worship anywhere, anytime, in any way. It's a hard question to answer because all of life can be worship. But we're gonna talk about that in a few weeks. We're gonna work through Romans chapter 12, verse one, which says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we'll save that focus for a week yet to come. But I, I think if we say, well, worship is anything, anywhere, anytime, any place, it sort of oversimplifies it. Um, it's, it's a hard question to answer, though. How do you worship? Um, it's like if I asked you, how do you play basketball? Well, that's not an easy question to answer, right? Like, there's a ball, and there's a hoop, and... Whichever team gets the ball and the hoop the most times wins, but that's not really a fair explanation of how you play basketball because you can't run with the ball, you have to dribble. So there's dribbling and there's passing and there's rules to the game, there's fouls you can commit, there's boundary lines, there's an offensive team and a defensive team. So you see what I mean? Like it's hard to just succinctly say, well, oh, here's how you play basketball. It's a very simple answer. Um, and you may not want to ask me anyways, my team of third and fourth grade boys that I'm coaching, we lost yesterday 40 something to 10. I'm not sure I understand clearly how to play basketball either. I think the kids on my team are wondering as well. Um, anyways, let's, let's ask this question to frame it up for us this morning. Here's another question. How do you get clean water? So here we sit in Pittsburgh in, in 2023, um, and I asked the question, how do you get clean water? And I, if you asked me, I'd say, well, you just go to the foyer and there's a, there's a water cooler. You can go down the hallway to a water fountain. You can go in the bathroom and get clean water. You can go downstairs to the kitchen and you can get clean water. You just turn a knob. How do you get clean water? You just, you just turn a knob, that's all you do. That's true, that's, a, that's the right answer. But one might say it's a bit of an oversimplification of how we get clean water. Because for many of us, I would imagine the water starts in a river, and somehow we have managed to channel that river into a water treatment facility. And there are, I don't even know how many steps in a water treatment facility to filter that water and clean that water so that the water can arrive in our homes clean. But there's a whole step in between the water treatment plant and my faucet, 
And that is the whole network of water distribution, right? It goes through a whole series of pipes and pumps and storage facilities so that at any time I want to, I go to that faucet and I turn it and out comes clean water. What a privilege that I have to be able to answer that question so simply as it's just with a turn of a knob. Well, throughout history that hasn't been true and in other countries of our world and in some cities in our country, I understand that's not necessarily true. But for us, it's just so simple. But if we can pause and appreciate all of the work that has gone ahead of us so that we can have the privilege to turn the knob and get clean water, that should provoke in us some serious gratitude, deep appreciation for the privilege we have to simply say, I turn a knob and it just is... And so when we ask the question, how do we worship? Yeah, you know what's right? It's, it's fair to say, yeah, I just, I turn a knob. You know, I just, I just worship. I, I can worship anywhere, anytime, in, in any place. Yes, that's true. But it, this morning we're going to stop and pause and we're going to appreciate all that has gone into the process of granting you that privilege. Let's think back to the old days when if you wanted to drink a clean water this morning, you'd take your bucket, you'd walk down to the Ohio River, scoop up a bucket load, bring it back up to the house, and boil it over a fire. Let's remember those old days so that we can appreciate what we have today. So if we go back in time, how do we worship? Well, if you got in that time machine, you went back a few thousand years, and you landed somewhere in the Middle East, and you found that nomadic group of people called the Jews who were wandering around in the wilderness, and you said to them, how do we worship They'd say, oh, well, you better sit down because I have scrolls after scrolls after scrolls answering that question because God spoke to us at Mount Sinai and he said explicitly, here are the directions for how you worship. This is exactly how you will do it. And those are books of our Bible, oftentimes books of the Bible that derail um, annual read through the Bible programs because it's just a whole list of prescriptions for how to worship God. He was very direct and very clear on how he was to be worshiped. Specifically this morning, we're gonna look in at the tabernacle. So the, and if you go through your, your booklet in a group, um, you're gonna work through all this material in depth. Well, I just do a quick flyby. But the tabernacle was this portable tent that God told the people of Israel to build so that as they wandered in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, they could worship God. And God told them exactly how to build it and exactly how they could approach him through not just the construction of the tabernacle, but how to have the priests behave in the tabernacle, how they could be cleansed, how, uh, what they should wear, a whole bunch of things that we're not gonna get into today. But before the Jews settled in the promised land, they worshiped in the tabernacle, this portable tent. So we have a picture of it for you for the screens. If you happen to have one of these booklets with you, these pictures are printed in your booklets, so whichever is easiest for you to look at. But that's an artist's rendering of this portable tent that was the house of worship. So there's a number of passages we could go to to look at it um, in Exodus, the construction of the tabernacle. But for us this morning, we're gonna look at Hebrews chapter nine, verses one to five. That's actually in the New Testament, towards the back of your Bibles. We'll put the verses on the screen so you don't have to struggle to find it. But in the author of Hebrews, is what he's doing in Hebrews chapter 9 is he's saying, okay, let's look back at how they worshiped back then, and let's see if that can inform how we worship today. And so that's where we're going to spend our time this morning, in Hebrews. So in Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 1 to 5 for us. It says this, now even the first covenant, that's this Old Testament tabernacle worship, the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. 
for a tent was prepared. The first section in which was the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. And having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So as you either look at your booklet or look at the screens with me, uh, it gives us a picture of this tabernacle that the author of Hebrews was describing. So in the verses that we have in Hebrews, he dives right into the tent. So you go inside the tent, and these are the things in chapter 9 that he was describing. The lampstand, the altar of incense, the table of bread, and the Ark of the Covenant. But just to give us a little more context together today, the tabernacle was the courtyard around the tabernacle, um, had things that we'll just quickly highlight. And again, they're in your booklet. The first thing you would have encountered as you walk through the entryway into the outer courtyard of the tabernacle is this bronze altar. It was just this massive barbecue pit, really. It was this big grill. And if you were coming into the worship of God, you would bring a sacrifice with you. And there's lots of things in the Old Testament about this. There's different offerings that you would bring. Sometimes you would bring grain. Sometimes you would bring an animal. Just depend on, on what offering and what purpose you were entering into the tabernacle. But as you entered in, the first thing you had to do is bring a sacrifice. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you're aware there's a lot of animal sacrifice in the Bible. And this was just instilled into them. If you want to begin to come into the worship of, into God's presence and worship him, you have to bring a sacrifice with you. And so as you entered into this tabernacle, it would have engaged all of your senses, right? It would have hit you visually. Whoa, there's a lot of blood here. There's a lot going on. It would have hit you uh, audibly. You would have been hearing the sounds of, of meat cooking. You would have been heard the sounds of animals being slaughtered. You're, it would have hit you with your nose because you would have been hair, smelling the stench of animals and this butcher shop in the middle of the hot desert. It would have been a feeling that you would have had. It would have engaged all of your senses as you entered into this space that was first met by this altar. After that, the priest would transition from the bronze altar to the bronze laver. So the bronze laver is simply just a big uh, tub of water that the priest would then wash himself. Now, it's probably a dirty job being a priest. You're butchering a lot of meat. But it's probably not to literally clean yourself as much as it is figuratively, ceremonially um, communicating that before you take another step toward the presence of God, you're going to wash yourself. You're going to clean yourself before you move into God's presence. And so the priest would stop there at the bronze laver before he would enter inside of the tabernacle tent. Once they walk in, they see these three elements, the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table of bread. So inside the tabernacle, this would have been pitch black. This is a thick tent, not a bit of sunlight's coming through, and it is a dark room, and the only light in the darkness is from the lampstand. Then you would have looked and you would have seen the altar of incense, which is burning incense all day long. Now, people have all different ideas. One idea is, well, it would have been a really stinky place, and so we needed the, the incense, which is perhaps part of it. But what we learn in scripture as we read on is that God will, on a number of occasions, say that the prayers of the saints are like incense coming up in his presence. 
from the altar of incense, then you would transition over to see the table of bread. There would be 12 loaves of bread there, representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. Probably a memorial to remember their time uh, in Egypt whenever um, they were delivered, to remember the manna that was eaten in the wilderness, that God consistently remembers them and keeps his promises and takes care of them and sustains them. That's the holy place. On the opposite side of that veil separates us from the most holy place, the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant sits. And so in Hebrews 9, that section was described, and it tells us what's inside this Ark of the Covenant. That bowl represents manna that they were fed in the wilderness. That's the rod of Aaron and the Ten Commandments. And then on the lid is the cherubims with their wings touching. That is... Um, To a modern reader like us, it's like, okay. But what we miss, I think, is that if you were in the camp, after they finished building all of these things, at the end of Exodus, it describes what happens after they finished the construction of the tabernacle. God's presence was in that holiest of holies. That most holy place is where God's presence was. And so you can put up that last picture. It's a description of what we think it might have looked like once the presence of God appeared inside the most holy place. So in Exodus chapter 40, in verse 34 and following, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day. And fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This was an artist's rendering of what it could have looked like. So it's not just like, oh, I'll just walk past this curtain and into the Holy of Holies. It was, no, I'm walking past this curtain, and on the other side of that curtain is the source of this fire by night and cloud of light by day. That's what you're walking into. You're walking into the very presence of God that was flowing out of the most holy place. And so the author of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 9, in the following verses, where we left off, it says, These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. That's the lampstand, lighting the candles, making sure there's fresh bread, that there's incense burning. They do those things. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he only once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So once a year, a man worked up the courage, went through all of the ritual cleanings, and was on his knees before God so that one day out of that year he would enter behind that curtain with, a, with blood in his hand, sprinkling it onto the Ark of the Covenant in the very presence of God. So as we think about that whole picture and we try to imagine this tabernacle worship, this was God saying, oh, you, you want to know how to worship me? This is how you worship me. First, you're going to give me a sacrifice, and you're going to lay it on the altar. Then the priest is going to move, and he's going to cleanse himself, because you're all the bearing sin. The dirt of sin is on you, so it's going to be cleansed. Then you're going to step into a space that is total darkness, and I'm going to light it up. That's why John chapter 1, verse 5, describing the coming of Jesus, it says, the light shines in the darkness, 
The altar of incense, God's saying, if you want to worship me, then, then your prayers are going to have to ascend to me like the altar of incense. If you want to worship me, then you're going to need to remember with gratitude how I met your needs and I fed you. And the Ark of the Covenant, that most holy place, should show us that when we worship God, it is something that should fill us with reverence. It's something that we should take seriously because we are entering into the very presence of God. There was a time when God very directly and very specifically gave instructions and said, this is how you will worship me. So what? So what? That's how they worshiped. That's not how we worship. And that's true. But it's a piece of the pipeline. Or maybe it's part of the, the, the cleaning of the water. I don't know how you want to fit it in, but it's part of our shared history. The reason that you and I can worship today is because there is this process that's in place that has got us to where we are today. And it should cause us to pause and appreciate the access that we have to God today that they did not have then. Nobody brought an animal this morning. I'm grateful. I haven't seen anybody sprinkle blood on anything, which is also very good. Right? Nobody lit any candles this morning. Like We just had the freedom to walk in this room. I don't know how you walked in this room. Some people walk in, they sit down, and they pray. Just go right into prayer. No sacrifice, nothing. We just, we just start to pray. We have direct access to God. So we just, we just sing, or we're meditating on Scripture. We're talking to someone in the room. We just had this direct access to God as we walked in here. Why is that? Why is our experience of coming to what we might call a temple, why is our experience walking in so different than theirs? And the author of Hebrews tells us, in Hebrews 9, 11 to 14, it says, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, if those things sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What the author of Hebrews is saying in some big words is he's saying it's Jesus the reason we walk in here this morning and we just worship is because Jesus came. He is our great high priest. And if you thought that if you took the blood of a lamb and that blood of a lamb was somehow able to purify your flesh from some sins, how much more will the blood of an infinite God cover over the sins of all of us? And the author is saying that's why we enter in this way. Because our great high priest has come and he has given his own blood for us so that we can have direct access to God in worship. So Jesus is our sacrifice on the bronze altar. As we enter in to worship God, we are able to take our first step because Jesus laid his life down on that altar and once for all gave his life to cover over all the sins of the world. Jesus is that water that washes us clean from our sins. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is in heaven right now praying for you. The author of Hebrews tells us that he is right now in heaven interceding for you like the prayers of the saints, like the incense on the altar. Jesus is the bread of life. He tells us that. And when Jesus died on the cross, that scene that is captured in the Gospels is as he's hanging on the cross right before his last breath, the, the curtain in the temple 
that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn from the top to the bottom. God reached down from heaven and ripped it. And he said, now that the sacrifice has been given, you have open access to God. The barrier has been removed. You can now enter into worship. He is now present with you. So you ask the question, how do we worship? Well, the author of Hebrews, I think this is how he would answer the question. How do we worship? He writes in Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we worship? The author of Hebrews says, this is how you worship. You draw near to God with a true heart full of faith in Jesus for what he has done for you. We no longer go to a tabernacle or a temple in order to worship God because God's word tells us now in the New Testament, he says, you know what? The temple of God is you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit right now. So God's saying, you don't have to go anywhere. I chose to make my dwelling inside of you. You know that picture of the tabernacle? That is flowing out of your heart because God has chosen to take up his residence within you. And now, yes, you just turn the tap and water comes out. Now you just, anywhere you are at any time, you can give God worship, you can be in his presence and give him praise because all that he has done for you. As you meditate on that for a moment, it ought to give you some real sense of significance. Because listen, consider how valuable and treasured you are. God doesn't just take up his residence anywhere. Read through the Old Testament. He is very particular about where he chooses to put his presence. I'll make a quick disclaimer. Within Christianity, within our doctrine, we do understand that God is everywhere. But as you read through scripture, there is also the sense in which he is also shows up in specific places like the temple and like in your heart as you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you are treasured and valued by God. He is in you. What a privilege you have. Your life then is the sacrifice that is supposed to be laid on that bronze altar. As you take other steps towards the worship of God, you can now approach God and you can confess your sins to him and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness like you would do in the cleansing station of the tabernacle. He is the bread of life. He wants to sustain you with his words. He is the light that is shining and he wants to shine through you out into this world. Your prayers are the prayers like the incense that burns that go up to God and he hears them and treasures them. God dwells in you. And the more you understand the Old Testament, the more you can appreciate that tabernacle, the more you will appreciate the incredible access we have to worship God anywhere, anytime, in any way. This week, 
your five senses are going to be engaged. I think that's what astounds me the most as I spent time in this, looking at this tabernacle this time around is just how much the five senses were engaged. Right? Like, you walk into that tabernacle and it hits you in all five senses. You're seeing the slaughter of animals. You're smelling it. You're hearing it. You move to that where you wash your hands and you can feel the water on your skin. You walk into the holy place and you can see the light and you can hear the candles burning and you can smell the incense and you go over and you can touch the bread and the priest would eat the bread weekly. You see, when God was saying, how are you gonna worship me? He was saying, like, I'll design a space in which I will engage all five senses that I created and put in you. Because I think, I knew, I think God knew what we learn is that if something can engage all five of our senses, we're likely to remember it. It's likely to sort of lodge its way inside of us so that we will remember it and it will be significant to us. And so how this works this week is if I am the tabernacle, I am the temple, then I think with each sight this week, with each sound, with each smell, with each touch, is an invitation to worship God. I think that's how the world works now. Now as I leave here today, all of the senses that start firing off, those are just invitations from God to me to worship him. So when you hear that loved one's voice, or you hear that Robin sing, or you hear that song, that's the invitation to worship God right then and there. No other steps. When you see that tree, or you pull up and you see your home, when you see the stars at night, it is the invitation from God to worship him. When you taste your lunch, or that dessert, or you sip that coffee, that's an invitation from God to worship him when you smell the flower or the candle or the freshly baked cookies, when you kiss your kids goodnight, when you experience the hug, when the cold air hits your face, God has created this world in such a way that you would get invitation after invitation to worship him right where you are, the presence of God within you, his creation interacting with you. Worship him. How do you worship him? I don't even know where to start. With every sensory experience, worship him. Good or bad, we're gonna walk out of here today and see some things this week that we didn't wanna see. We're gonna see things that aren't good, things that aren't holy, things that are broken and evil. But I think even seeing the evil in the world can also provoke worship. It is still an invitation to fall to our knees and in humility call out to the God who is in control of all things. We'll hear things, we'll hear lies, we'll hear gossip, we'll hear slander. And even those things can provoke in us the urge to worship. These are all invitations for us to worship. So how do we get clean water? It's as simple as turning a knob. Oh, but hopefully we have this deep appreciation now for how that clean water comes out. How do we worship? Well, it's as simple as, as turning a knob. It's as simple as any sensory experience I have this week. And yet, I have this deep appreciation for the privilege I have to be able to experience the world that way and have direct access to God. As I consider all that has been happened to give me that privilege, most notably the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, his shed blood, 
is what gives me that freedom. So it seems fitting to close this sermon by remembering communion, remembering his body broken and his blood shed. I also really enjoy doing communion after a sermon like this one because it's just so neat how Jesus put it together. Because he said, I want you to remember my death on the cross. So you know what I want you to do, church? I want you to taste something. I want you to smell something. I want you to see something. I mean, I guess we could say hear something if we wanted to. I'm not sure. But that's what we're going to do as we participate in communion together.